Is it possible that the genre of K-pop will save the world? And then we cover a far less fun story. Is there any truth to the rumors that children are being snatched off the streets in Morocco and given a choice? Tell us where the genie's treasure is, or we will murder you. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. That's a great combination of stories. We got a little bit of salt, a little bit of sugar. Um, I don't know why I decided to describe them as that. It's, it's just it's a nice combination. We got a dark one, we got a light one, but also a combination of the darkness and the light is our newest Patreon supporter. He's coming in as an immortal being, half half shadow, half light. Jonathan Vaca, everyone give a round of applause. <laughs> give a round of applause to the entity known as Jonathan Vaca. Coming in. Now he just looks like a normal person. He's no longer like a chocolate and vanilla uh, yogurt floating in. He's just a normal dude. Jonathan, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. You're like, I don't want to support the Patreon. You're turning people into floating yogurt. It's actually kind of delicious. If you can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. It just helps spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. We also have a merch store, which I never mentioned. It's in the show notes. There's a lot of really cool merch there. So Jonathan, let's go ahead and give you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirgible. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed out to a place we've been to a lot on this show, Korea. Uh, Jonathan is flying us over to Korea. We're walking around on the Dead Rabbit Dirgible. And we're going to talk a bit about K-pop. Now, I know what you're thinking. Really? Really, Jason? Is that what we're talking about? I'm going to tell you this. I don't listen to a lot of the newer stuff, but I'm straight up hipster. I listened to K-pop before it was popular. I actually started listening to Wonder Girls back when they came out, back like in 2007. Little known thing. You guys know I've been researching conspiracy theories for, for like 30 years. The Wonder Girls got caught up in a lot of Illuminati theories. There's a lot of websites that did not like the Wonder Girls. They were posting uh, videos of them like, what? These Wonder Girls, what? They're not so wonderful. They're just human, like you and me. They made a video. I'll put it in the show notes. I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head. But they made a video where they're like, we are robot people. It's not like that wasn't the lyrics. But it has this video of these girls dancing around and then their bodies are like mechanical. And the anti-Illuminati, anti-transhumanist movement and the conspiracy theories went nuts over this video. Look at them. They're trying to turn us into robots. See these seven or however many there were. Their lineup keeps changing. These seven Asian women. That's the future of the world. I'm like, okay, that's fine with me. They're pretty cool-looking robots. People are like, what? This music's going to brainwash. It's actually, now that I'm starting to say that, it's really funny. The thing was is that this music was going to take over. We can't have it happen. And the last I had heard, because I was listening to I think I downloaded some of it as well. Legally. That's <laughs> why I shift from side to side. But there wasn't a huge K-pop market back then. Not like it was today. And I remember the last I heard of them, they were being taken over Robot Factory. Cyber9 had bought their, their record label. And I'm like, no. Now, the last I had heard of them is the Jonas Brothers were going on tour and they picked them as the opening act. And I remember thinking, good for them. I hope the Wonder Girls have a big career. I don't know how big Korean pop music will be in America, but good for them. And now fast forward to BTS and K-pop has taken over. But the question is, can it save the world? There's actually a precedent for that, but we'll get to that in a second. 
Uh, Jonathan, you see that DMZ there between North Korea and South Korea? We're going to float perfectly over that. I hope you guys brought your flak jackets. It's a pretty treacherous time to be here. Because the war never ended between North Korea and South Korea. And I'm not going to go into a huge... We actually did a whole week on North Korea. I'm not going to go into the geopolitical ramifications. I think you guys are all pretty well educated. Things aren't great in North Korea. Things are pretty good in South Korea. I grew up during the Cold War, and you'd always hear stories about people on the other side of the Berlin Wall, like, getting copies of the Rolling Stones, man. USA, rock and roll. Smoking camel cigarettes, wearing blue jeans. You used Western music, really, as a psychological weapon to help break down, or build up, in my my case, I would say, to build up the youth of the East to go, you know what, freedom rocks. Freedom literally rocks. Well, we're seeing the same thing happening with K-pop in North Korea. It's a very, very fascinating story. This isn't a clickbaity headline or anything like that. There's been a lot of really interesting articles written about this. Now, you've had South Korean artists go to North Korea and perform music, but South Korean music, K-pop music, is very like colorful and energetic. When you see footage of them in North Korea, they're all kind of standing in a the line. They're singing... They're singing pop music, but it's not how you would see it in South Korea. It's very restrictive. It's very performed for their audience. Because in North Korea, the music is people standing in a line, singing. They have these huge concerts every once in a while. That had been like a 10-year gap. First one was around 2008. And then they had another one in 2018 where he had all these K-pop stars go to North Korea to give this concert. But it's controlled exposure. Everyone at the concert were party loyalists. Because at the end of the day, music is one of the most powerful movements. It really is. Sure, you can look at a painting and go, that's pretty. But I don't think a painting has ever caused a revolution. I could be wrong on that. A painting doesn't really change the way you view the world. <laughs> right now, there's a hundred, hundred art majors snapping their, their, whatever they use, chalk or charcoal, or uh, easels, or what. They're just snapping everything around them. They're like, ah, sacre bleu. They're all French. Music, though, can change you. Music can change you. So you have to be careful if you have a totalitarian regime how much music gets over there. But you want to have... The goal of both North and South Korea is reunification. The question is who's in charge afterwards. Both of them want a united Korea. North Korea wants South Korea. South Korea wants North Korea. They want to be reunified. So they're going to make these motions towards each other. But when you're having this state concert, they actually had hardcore party loyalists in there. So they don't hear a K-pop song and go, you know what? Freedom does rock. And then immediately leave. Like the people who are allowed to attend these concerts, they're not going anywhere. At the DMZ, where you have all the border guards, what is it? The 38th parallel. You have the guards in North Korea. Then you have a couple miles of just nothing but landmines than the guards in South Korea. South Korea, they started blasting K-pop as some sort of psychological weapon. Now, again, I think the guards at the DMZ, we see a person defect from North Korea from the DMZ once in a blue moon, but they, I would assume as well, are pretty hardcore loyalists. But it's the citizens of North Korea. It's the people in the middle of the country that are the most, I don't want to say vulnerable because it makes it sound bad, the most open to being changed by this music. There's an underground musical resistance going on in North Korea where flash drives of K-pop songs are smuggled into the country. 
because when people defect from North Korea and they're being asked about why you did it and how they did it, there's a North Korean guy. He's disguised as a South Korean guy. He's like, hey, uh, yeah, so how'd you do that? Can you tell me all about it? He's wearing a little thing that says press, but he spelt it wrong because they don't have any free press in North Korea. They interview these people. (laughs) They arrest that North Korean spy and then he defects as well. But when they interview people who've defected, one of the main reasons why they defected was music. They go, I heard the music. I heard Western music. I heard K-pop music. And I realized something was wrong. That's one of the biggest common denominators of why people defect. Some of them say, yeah, my family got arrested. I had to leave. Other people say, I was going to get arrested. Some people may defect for business opportunities. But one of the main underlying factors that cuts across everything is music. If you're caught listening to K-pop for a child, six months to a year of ideological training, they're going to send you to a camp, they're going to brainwash you to not like that music. Could you imagine, and it's interesting because I'm talking about these facts, but I I want you to put yourselves in the shoe. Could you imagine, right, whatever your favorite type of music is, you're into jazz, you're into bluegrass, you're into grindcore, And all of a sudden, the authorities come to you and say, because of the music you like is not approved by us, you have to go to jail for a year, and we're going to teach you to hate that music. That music that you love so much that invigorates you when you listen to it, it makes you feel not alone. That's illegal. Now, you may choose not to listen to music. You may go, I don't really like that music. It's not edifying I'm not a big fan of it. But for the government to come in and say, your favorite type of music, you can't listen to it. Now, let's reverse this. Let's say your favorite type of music, you've never heard before. You've heard all other types of music, but the music you love the most, you never heard until tomorrow. You didn't know what country music was. Tomorrow is the first time you're going to hear a Randy Travis song. From the Twangs and the steel guitar, it would blow your mind. You didn't know that was your favorite. You never heard that music before. You grew up in a world where country was so forbidden, you didn't even know there was a word for it. And then one day you find a Hank William Jr. album, and it would fill your soul with so much passion. You would do anything to find another one. There was one of these defectors. She said she watched the same music video over and over and over again for hours. It was the only one she had. That music opened her soul up. It's just fascinating and sad, really. This segment's turning out a lot more depressing than I had it in my head, but they didn't even know this music existed, and you have this young kid who hears Wonder Girls. And to us, it's just bubblegum pop. Like, I was like, oh, you know, this is inch. I like pop music anyways. It's a new type of pop music I'm interested. To someone who had never heard pop before, nothing. This blows their mind, and it actually makes them want to risk everything to listen to it. Six months to a year. Now, that's if they're a kid. If they're an adult, it can be lifetime in prison for listening to K-pop. What K-pop is trying to do, what K-pop can do, is break the back of the authoritarian regime of North Korea. People are actually smuggling the music into the country. And people are risking their lives to listen to this music that a lot of people just dismiss as bubblegum pop. 
You roll your eyes when you see him post stuff on Twitter. Oh, yeah, BTS. But this music could change the world. North Korea is the most repressive regime on the planet. And if there's hope for them, then there's hope for everyone else. I'm not saying they're not the only repressive regime on the planet, but they're the most. And if we can figure out a way to help them open up, the world is literally our oyster. (laughs) Not literally, then we're living on an oyster. But we did it with the Cold War. We pumped rock and roll across the Berlin Wall. We can do it. And it's so interesting because on the one hand, I don't think I would risk my life if someone said, you can't listen. And now, right now, if someone goes, if you listen to Tupac, we're going to throw you in prison for a year. I'd be like, oh, that's fine. I've listened to all the Tupac. I got the songs in my head. They're like, oh, you shouldn't have said that. And they shoot me. I go, okay, fine. It's a stupid law. I don't think at my age I would defy the law to listen to Tupac. But if I had never heard Tupac before, if I had never heard rap music before, and I'd grown up and I was 44 years old and never heard any rap, and then one day someone came over to my house and was like, dude, you can't tell anyone about this, but check this out. And they put in Natural Born Killers by Dr. Dre and Ice Cube. I think I would risk my life to listen to that music. So it's a fascinating, music is just a fascinating thing. It speaks to you. It's Rap music speaks to me and K-pop is speaking to them because it's showing a life outside of where they live. How the world really is. Uh, There was one person who said, we were always told that Westerners were wolves. They were the enemies of mankind. And South Korea were the slaves of the wolves. And then we listen to this music and we realize that's all a lie. So K-pop can possibly topple, I think it definitely can, topple this regime. And to wrap it up on this note, this is actually a sad way to go out. The children of North Korea have to have a hidden language to talk about this. When a child in North Korea greets another one, they'll ask, have you ever worn a bulletproof backpack? Which is a weird code, because obviously that's a code, right? (laughs) Obviously that's a code in and of itself. But that means, do you listen to BTS? The children of North Korea had to come up with a code to talk about something that are in magazines in every other corner of the world. It's sad that they have to do it, But it shows that music can overcome fear. And if music can overcome fear, music may be the key to reunifying North and South Korea. Jonathan Vaca, we look over, wipe wipe a little tear away from his eye. Oh, no, no, no. I just got some light and dark material in my eye. I'm I'm totally fine. We all have on our Wonder Girl shirts now and BTS, BTS bracelets. I don't even know if they make BTS bracelets, but we have them. We're leaving behind the DMZ. Jonathan, let's hop in that Carpenter Copter. We are headed out to Morocco. We're going to land out in the middle of nowhere. We're in a field. There's no one around us. There is a mountain, however, with a mouth. (laughs) What is it like the mouth from Rocky Horror Picture Show? It's like, come on in, guys. No, it's the big lion head from Aladdin. That Aladdin movie. Now you're like, Jason, that one didn't take place in Morocco. Two, it's not real. But this is just an imaginary part of Morocco for this first part of the story. We all know the story of Aladdin by now. A dude was walking through the desert, and then some wizard... This is the version of Aladdin that I remember from the movie. This wizard shows up and goes, Hey, um, there's something really cool in that giant mouth. (laughs) That giant animated mouth. Go inside of it. Robin Williams might be in there. I'm not for sure. But you go inside of it. You grab that lamp. You grab some treasure. Bring it back to me. I'm your buddy. I'm your pal. I'm your willing slave. 
Aladdin's <laughs> like, what? Why'd you have that last card? <laughs> Aladdin walks into the cave, gets the lamp. Genie comes out, irritates everyone for an hour and a half. The end. So apparently, I didn't know this. I didn't know this. That's based on a true story. <laughs> You're like, don't, don't shut it off yet. Don't shut. I'm not saying that Aladdin itself is a true story, but that myth in Morocco, they they believe it. I'm not saying the government of Rocco believes Aladdin is real, but the the nugget behind that story is so real, it's causing a string of murders in Morocco. Fascinating story. Fascinating story. So, I use the term genie, but the term originally is jinn. And it's, for lack of a better term, they do grant wishes in a lot of time. There's a lot of different versions of the jinn or the genie depending on which culture you're getting them from. They're always tied to wealth and riches of some sort. In Western ideology, they're the genie. You rub the lamp, they come out, they give you wishes. And the more powerful the wish, the more likely it's going to go wrong. In Islamic culture, they're be best compared to demons. One thing I've always found most fascinating about jinn, though, is in the Islamic tradition, God crafted them out of smokeless fire. I've always loved that imagery because it's impossible. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Where there's fire, there's smoke. I just love that imagery. Uh, I, I don't know why. That, I've always been drawn to that idea of where he crafted them from smokeless fire. That's always stuck with me. But other than that, other than their origin story and just the mere impossibility of how that would come into being, we have the story of the Zahori. Now, this is a very, very common crime, apparently. This is not a rumor. I know I said that in the intro, but I thought it was a rumor when I read the first article on Cabos.com, which is about, like, cryptids and things like that. But there's articles in MoroccoWorldNews.com. The police have a serious problem with this. Children are being taken right off of the streets, kidnapped by organized crime. All the stuff when you think about like reptilian, Illuminati conspiracy theories happening in the United States, children being snatched for satanic rituals, that's happening in Morocco right now. Children are being snatched off the streets and then found days later in the middle of nowhere, tortured and murdered. Sorry, I know it's a bit of a whiplash from the K-pop segment, but this is real. And when, the poli- when these children get kidnapped, the police know exactly what it is. The child was a Zahori. In Morocco, this is a very, very regional belief. There are children that are born differently. Zahori actually, ironically, means lucky. The idea is, is that they are either jinn themselves, who when they were born, a jinn replaced a human baby with a jinn baby. And the, human po- and the human parents raised it as a normal human. That's very common in fae folklore as well in Western Europe. The other version is that unknowingly, a parent had a child with a jinn. And this child is half jinn, half human. But either way, it's the legend of Aladdin. You see, the magician sent... Aladdin wasn't just some poor urchin boy. Aladdin was a Zahori. And the wizard knew this, because there's ways you can tell if someone is a Zahori. A Zahori child knows where Jin treasure is. They can just suss it out. They have an idea. They have a feeling. Two, none of the traps the Jin set up can hurt 
as a hoary child, because they're half-jinn, or whole-jinn, depending on the myth. But none of the traps can work. They are the only ones who can safely get in, get the treasure from a jinn, and get back out. So the story of Aladdin in Morocco is real. At least that part of it is. They probably are a little iffy on the talking parrot. Aladdin was as a hoary. These children are fairly common. And there's a lot of telltale signs, so... Get ready to find out whether or not you could possibly be kidnapped. This is insane. I thought this was a local legend until I found all these news reports on it. But here's how you can tell if you're a Zahori. Again, in any other culture, you're just considered lucky. But in Morocco, it's incredibly unlucky. One, do you have... Get a mirror. Get a mirror for all of this stuff. Stick your tongue out. Uh, If you have a clear line cut lengthwise in your tongue. So you have like a clear line in your tongue... You might be a Zahori. Some Zahoris have all of these qualities. Some just have a few. But I think really one or two will get you brutally murdered. So you might not want to check for this stuff. The palm of your hand, on one of them or both, you have a line that cuts horizontal. It's straight and it cuts horizontal across your palms. So I kind of have one of those. In palm reading, it's considered the, the luck line. Or the fate line. If you have a line that cuts across your palm, that means fate is going to play a strong part in your life. If you don't have a line that cuts across, then you have a much, your life is more up for grabs. One of your eyes has a slight squint. So I don't think it's like Popeye level. I That was the worst Popeye impression ever. That was like if Fonzo was a pirate. But, um, you know, I don't think it has to be like that. Slight squint. Here's one. You have a special luster in your eyes, which everyone notices at first sight. Um, your blood color... Don't test this one. Don't test this one. You have the mirror for the other stuff. Um, your blood color is lighter than normal. And I had to look this up because I didn't know this was a thing. You have two hair whorls at the top of your head. So a head whorl is like the way your, your hair circles around you're like jason i know what a hair whorl is you're the only person on the planet who had to look that up i didn't understand what that was but that's a dead giveaway because that's one of the few things you can just see the hair whorl squinty eyes you know stuff like that charismatic eyes you can probably see that from a distance but like the tongue you're not going to know that until they're already in your car and you can have them the more of those you have the more powerful you are as a zahori but again it's not a good thing in morocco in any other country Cool, you're super lucky, but not Morocco. So these children are being kidnapped, taken out to the middle of nowhere because that's supposedly where the treasure... And you know what's funny to say? There is... This is what's really confusing about this for people in the culture. There are thousands of individual treasures buried all over Morocco. There's buried treasure all over the place in Morocco because the early settlers who were coming in and for even a long time after that... The only way to secure your gold, the only way to secure your valuables, you buried them. So in cemeteries, in the wilderness, in a forest, in a bog, there's treasure buried all over Morocco. Everyone knows that. Everybody knows that. People just two, three generations ago were still burying treasure. But because of the idea of the jinn, if the family dies off, if they forget where the treasure's at... Because it's underground, the jinn gains control of it. It is now property of the jinn. So you need a Zahori to just walk around the wilderness, and they'll get a sense for where this treasure is. 
So here's the thing. The treasure, the stories of the treasure are real. The story of these children who are half jinn aren't. There are people who are born exceptionally lucky. There are people who make their own luck. But I don't think these kids are actually half jinn. Otherwise, you'd have whole swaths of the population who are half jinn. Because these traits, I'm half jinn, according to this. Should ask my mom. <laughs> I should ask my mom if she ever hung out in Morocco. But the treasure is real. You know that for a fact. The question is, how do you find it? So they're snatching these children off the streets who have these powers, who are these Zahori. They're taking them out to the middle of nowhere. They kill them for a couple different reasons. One, because they're mad because the children couldn't find any treasure. Because they probably can't. They're nine. Sometimes they're killed because the treasure is found. Because again, it's buried everywhere. You go, Jason, if they found the treasure, why? if you had a half-gin and you lead them to one treasure, wouldn't you want to keep that half-gin to lead them to other treasures? Because you're stealing from the gin, you have to sacrifice the child to the gin. The kid's not getting out of there. Leads him to the treasure, he dies. Doesn't lead him to the treasure, he dies. And then for some segments of the sorcerer community of Morocco, you gotta kill the kid to find the treasure. Like, you don't even, the kid doesn't even get to help find the treasure, which is not a good thing. He's not a goonie, but it's like, the kid's got, I'm trying not to make light of it, but I'm saying, like, on one hand, you get to spend a little bit, like, longer alive, I guess. Like, a couple more hours, and then the other one, you just show up in the middle of nowhere, and they kill you, and they throw your blood everywhere. Jeez, this has gone dark really, really fast. The other one, like, they ritually kill the kid right away and they use the blood to find the treasure. And maybe they stumble across it because it's everywhere. And the problem is, is that then it proves that this is the way to find the treasure. There was a story I was reading in this article in the Morocco News. This family, their son was a Zahori. Because, see, this isn't, a, this isn't something the country bumpkins believe. Like, obviously not everyone believes it, but huge swaths of the population believes it. And this parent, this family sees that their child is a Zahori. And so the grandpa's like, great, I guess I got to quit my job now. And he escort. he's like all thrown the newspaper down. He's like, dag nabbit, now I don't get to work. He has to escort his son to and from school every single day. Because he will get kidnapped and murdered. That it will happen. And he, the kid wasn't allowed to go outside. So you're going, okay, yeah, I kind of ruined his childhood. He didn't get to spend the first nine years and didn't make any friends. This went on till he was 20 years old. His grandpa's escorting him everywhere. He's at a nightclub dancing. He's like, hey, grandson, look at those hot babes over there. He's like, grandpa, you're totally killing my vibe. The grandpa's coming home with two college-age chicks. Woohoo, party guy. When he turned 20, he got married, and the family goes, you can take care of yourself now. They were doing this up until college. Because he could be 18, 19 years old, he will get kidnapped taken to the middle of nowhere, and murdered because he has a line on his tongue. This is happening today. These articles aren't from 1947. Fascinatingly terrifying story. A few physical abnormalities can get your child tortured and murdered. I've been glossing over the torture part as well, but they do that. They do that. That's part of the ritual. It's part of getting them to, you know, if someone's, if you ask someone, where's the treasure? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. They're not going to be like just bonking on the head. They're going to torture you to get the information that they don't know. And if you do happen to say around that tree and you go and you dig around that tree and you find something because it's buried everywhere, you've just doomed the next child as well. It's a story based on myth and superstition. It's a story based 
on something from 1001 Arabian Nights, but it's having a deadly consequence today. The story of the Zohuri is one that tells us that sometimes the myths that we research for fun or to scare us at night can have terrifying real-world consequences. And honestly, there's only two good ways to end this epidemic. One, that everyone in the country just stops believing this lunacy. That people stop thinking that you can kidnap children at random and they'll tell you where magical treasure is buried. Or that one of these murderous sorcerers finds a real Zohuri. Takes him out to the woods, tries to find the treasure, finds it because it's everywhere, and executes the child. But this child was not a child of flesh and blood. This child was truly half jinn and has now become a force to be reckoned with. This jinn is unleashed in the country of Morocco. And it will get vengeance not only for itself, but for every human child who was killed before it. This jinn moves through the country of Morocco, killing these men one by one. To health experts, it looks like an epidemic. To police officers, it looks like a series of gangland hits. No cause of death, just bodies being found everywhere. But it is only happening to those who engaged in this ritual. They wished for treasure, they got their wish fulfilled with the twist. Because while they may have enjoyed those earthly riches while they were alive, the last thing they see is an entity reach into them and tear out their soul. A few trinkets dug up from the earth in exchange for an eternity in a world of darkness, madness, and smokeless fire. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Dead Rabbit Radio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.